going on everyone welcome back to another episode of Clee talk presented by fenleyroadsports.com i am your host bob hanging out talking my favorite hometown cleveland sports with my older brother chris chris what's going on man not much i'm super pumped for baseball to start in about a week here less than a week bob we're we are coming to up to spring here man it's it's the weather's nice it's light right now. Normally, it would be pitch black outside recording this thing. It's light, and baseball's about to start, so I, I'm super pumped. Yeah, the gateway to summer is upon us. Uh, less than a week till uh, the very first MLB games are being played. I guess officially opening day is next Monday, but they are playing some games on Sunday as well. Um, so I am very, very excited to, to get the MLB season started Obviously, as Cleveland Indians fans, uh, we have a lot to be excited about. The Indians making it all the way to the World Series, uh, going up three to one against the Chicago Cubs, weren't able to pull it out uh, in a, in a heartbreaking Game Seven. But Chris, most of the players are back. This team uh, resigned some people. Had the big addition of Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, how excited are you for the 2017 Cleveland Indians season? I'm super excited. I mean, going into last year, we were talking about how the Indians would need a lot to go right. I mean, the, the Indians had their entire starting outfield injured. They had an offense that had been littered with question marks for the last few years, and, and everything went right. I mean, Mike Napoli had a career year. Uh, Carlos Santana finally took a major step forward and became that 30-plus home run hitter we thought he could be. And, and this all despite not having Michael Brantley, having a slew of injuries to the rotation. Uh, they, they showed that a couple of things last year. One, that they have a deep pipeline that is really starting to rev up some prospects. The last few years, uh, you saw Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and then most recently Tyler Naquin. Uh, the pitching staff is deep, and so it's refreshing to see that that the pipeline, the, the farm teams, are starting to produce some high-quality prospects. But the other thing that showed is that there's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Chris Antonetti. Uh, he's the president of the Cleveland Indians organization, and, and he is definitely taken off the shackles. They did a very un-Cleveland Indians-like move uh, at the trade deadline last year, and tried to get Jonathan Lucroy. They successfully got Andrew Miller, and they went out and got Brandon Geyer. Now, those are moves that I don't know would have happened under Mark Shapiro. Mark Shapiro is a little more conservative philosophy, but clearly uh, his apprentice, Chris Antonetti, is not of that mindset. They definitely went for it last year. They brought in some top-shelf players, and even though Jonathan Lucroy vetoed the deal and decided to go to Texas instead. That's not the Cleveland Indians' fault. You can't. The, the Indians did everything they could to try to improve uh, their team, and ultimately it was a blessing in disguise because Roberto Perez had a great postseason. So what I'm saying, Bob, is a I'm super excited because that philosophy of going for it spilled over into the offseason. They signed Enwin Encarnacion to the biggest free agent contract ever to a team that was, I mean just one or two plays away from being world champions. So this team is set up to have what should be a very fun and exciting season. And and I don't know, how, if you're a Cleveland fan, I don't see how you can't be excited for this season to start. 
Yeah, uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, uh, the potential was realized last year for a lot of these guys, um, and they were able to, as a team, put put it all together. And despite all those injuries, uh, you know, be the best team in the American League. Uh, and now, given an off season for for some guys to get healthy, they bring in a bona fide cleanup hitter and Edwin Encarnacion, who is replacing Mike Napoli. Um, you know that that's a definite plus uh, for for the Indians. I, Napoli had a career year, but he definitely tailed off at the end and just doesn't project to uh, repeat that same kind of success. And Carnacion certainly does that. So the Indians are primed for, for another run. I, I'm really really excited about them. Um, but let's just remember that the regular season is 162 games long. It is a different beast, a different animal than postseason play. Uh, Chris, what are the strengths of this regular season 2017 Indians team? It's a tough one to single out. Um, really tough one to single out. I mean, you're talking about a team that was second in runs scored, uh, a team that its offense was traditionally one of its weakness, was second in runs scored in the league. Uh, you have a very deep rotation. You have a solid bullpen and a defense that just is light years ahead of everyone else with Francisco Lindor uh, manning shortstop and hopefully Jason Kipnis, a healthy Jason Kipnis, uh, will continue that middle of the infield defense. Uh, I I would say the strength right now has to be their starting rotation. I mean, you you look, if healthy, you've got three legitimate number one pitchers in Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, and Danny Salazar. The reason I'm hesitant to say that that's a strength right now is that the injury issues with Carrasco and Salazar, uh, they have a lot to prove in terms of staying healthy and doing this for a full season. You know, they've shown that they can pitch at high level. They've shown that they can flirt with the Cy Young, but the Cy Young is not a three-month award. You know, Danny Salazar looked outstanding through June, and then the injury bug hit. Carlos Carrasco has looked outstanding in spurts, but all throughout his career, he has been banged up. Uh, the one rock of this rotation would be Corey Kluber, and as long as he's healthy, you, you're going to have a, a legitimate shot at doing something special. But I, I do think the depth of this rotation will be tested at some point in the regular season. But if healthy... For most of the year, you I don't see how you can't say uh, the the rotation isn't the strength. I, I just think that when you have the, the kind of talent they do at the top there, uh, nobody wants to see them. Yeah, I, the that has been their strength uh, the last three years now. Um, that triple-headed monster of Carrasco, Kluber, and, and Salazar, and then Bauer and Tomlin bringing up the rear. Very few teams in, in uh, the entire MLB can – uh, present a rotation one through five uh, that can compare with that. Uh, starting with a workhorse in Corey Kluber, who is reliable and uh, just as good and talented as anyone else in that rotation. But you have, um, you know, your two and three, like you said, in Salazar and Carrasco, who uh, have been spotty, but when they're on, they are certainly one of the best uh, in, in all the league. Um, you know, we the last memory of this Indians team was uh, certainly a banged up rotation, so they weren't able to do a lot of things that a uh, normal successful teams are able to do in the postseason that's rely on you know two or three really good starting pitchers they, they pretty much leaned on uh, Corey Kluber and the bullpen headlined by Andrew Miller uh, that's not a sustainable way to, to 
play an 162 game season. And I think uh, we may have that perception of them heading into the regular season. Um, but the strength is still the rotation in the regular season. And they realized that in the past two years, um, uh, they were 11th in the American league in innings pitched by the bullpen in the regular season last year. And two years ago, they were 14th in the American league. So almost dead last in terms of innings pitched by the bullpen. So, you know, the rotation is a workhorse when you can go five deep in the regular season. Uh, that's where that strength really shines out. And they're certainly going to rely on that, um, to, to carry them through the regular season and, to give those bullpen guys rest for when those high leverage games uh, pop up later in the season. And, you know, this is a team with world series aspirations. It's not unfair to, to talk about the world series in March for, for the Cleveland Indians this year, since uh, they, they were so talented last year and are returning that talent. Um, th- those bullpen arms will be ready because of the strength of this rotation. Oh, certainly. And, and actually I, I would argue that perhaps the bullpen I know I just said the rotation, but but the fact that there's a bit of an asterisk next to it with the health, I mean, there's no doubt that there's going to be some guys seeing time. I mean, I, I think Ryan Merritt, Mike Clevenger, you know, some of these guys are going to get starts throughout the year. Just just a, you, you, it's very hard for any rotation to not have some sort of injury issues at some point. But but knowing Carrasco and Salazar's history uh, specifically. Uh, I think it would be foolish to think that these guys are going to be 100% the whole year. So the depth is going to get tested. And and I just think when you look at that bullpen, you got those two hammers at the back with Cody Allen and Andrew Miller supplemented by Brian Shaw, who was a top setup man. Now he's kind of your seventh inning guy. Uh, And then Dan Otero, who's Mr. Anything. Uh, When you can throw out four guys like that – that's a pretty darn good strength as well. So so I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards the bullpen, though I agree with you. There's no way Terry Francona is going to use his bullpen during the regular season like he did in the playoffs. It's not possible. It's not a sustainable model. Uh, you would completely gas your team going into the postseason. But it's certainly a good thing to have in your back pocket if things get sticky uh, like, for instance, guy gets lit up first couple innings. Uh, you have to play an 18-inning game. Uh, who knows what could happen throughout the course of the regular season. And to have a variety of different arms in that bullpen is, is a huge plus. Yeah, for, for sure. So strength, uh, rotation, possibly the bullpen. Or, I mean, it's definitely a strength, not possibly. But um, those are definitely two of the stronger points of, of this roster. Um, what, what's an area that concerns you? What is a weakness? Okay, so I don't think that there is a glaring weakness on this team. But if there is one, it's the fear that the offensive breakouts were one-year wonders. You know, Jose Ramirez had a fantastic season last year. So did Carlos Santana. Santana's been been up here for a while, but last year he took a, 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 a step to another level. And Jose Ramirez had a breakout season. These guys have to show that they can do this for more than one year. Now, it's not necessarily fair to assume that they can't, but at the same time, I think that there is a legitimate concern that the offense may have peaked last year. Now, bringing in Edwin Encarnacion certainly helps because he has certainly shown over the last you know five, six years that he is a legitimate 35 home run power bat. 
Um, Michael Brantley has shown when healthy that he is a legitimate, reliable bat. You know, Francisco Lindor has been doing this for two years. I know it's only his third season, but for two years he has been supremely reliable ever since he came up. And Jason Kipnis is also a pretty reliable bat. So you have guys you can fall back on if Michael Brantley's healthy. But what I want to look for is Jose Ramirez, Carlos Santana, are those two guys, did they peak last year or was this the beginning of them taking it to the next level and will they continue to progress into uh, just all around great uh, baseball players? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, Carlos Santana, we've been waiting for that breakout season uh, for, for since he ha- came up to the majors, essentially. Um, Jose Ramirez was kind of out of nowhere. We didn't really expect that um, kind of breakout. The good news is that by all the projections I read, Jose Ramirez uh, projects to be even better this year. Now, uh, take that for what it is. We're just talking about projections, but um, baseball is a predictable sport uh, in some areas. And, and for whatever reason, Jose Ramirez's game, his swing, his abilities, the way he takes pitches and walks translates well to repeated success. Um, and there's even uh, allegedly room for him to increase his power totals, which I think would be uh, fantastic as well. Carlos Santana, you know, the the power finally came through and had a, a 30 home run season finally uh, in, in 2016. Um, he has always eaten pitches, has always taken walks. Uh, I think he w- took more walks than strikeouts last year. Um, so that has always been there. I think, uh, you know, you can't expect him we, there's a whole lot of data on him. You can't expect him to all of a sudden be a 30 plus home run and hitter, but I think he's certainly a cog in the lineup and has proven that he can be that over uh, the past few seasons. So I don't think that that is um, as much a concern as our, uh, this offense literally resting on the shoulders of Michael Brantley and Jason Kipnis Uh it, I don't think the Indians have the offensive depth to absorb both of those guys not being one of them being 100% for the majority of the season. Uh, I think they can absorb one because obviously they did, they did it last year with Michael Brantley essentially not playing all season long. But with Kipnis out with the injured rotator cuff, with Brantley rehabbing back, and he certainly has uh, produced uh, since he started playing in spring training games uh, as of last week. Uh, one of those guys needs to be a hundred percent and be, uh, you know, they, those two guys have been essentially the MVP of the Indians offense, uh, over the past two or three years. Uh, they need one of those guys. Ideally you get both of them back, but I, I think that the, the big weakness is that both the, both two of their key cogs, uh, contributors are both nursing shoulder injuries to start the season. And just from our dealing with Michael Brantley over the past two seasons, uh, I'm wary of that kind of injury right now. Right. And, and the good thing about Jose Ramirez, if he continues his ascension, you know, he can play almost anywhere. He can play outfield. He can fill in for Brantley or Kipnis because he can play you know, left, second, third. He can move around the diamond. So having a not only a great bat, but a bat that you can place anywhere – that is such a luxury and probably one of the reasons why Bob wanted these reports. Clearly, the Indians believe in these uh, projections because uh, they've reportedly closing in on a five-year extension that's going to take him through 2022 with some options. Uh, 
that's that's got to be great news as well. Uh, of course, uh, hopefully we don't have a Travis Hafner situation, uh, but but I, I'm I'm confident that Jose Ramirez uh, is a is is on the, is trending up and will be a key contributor for years to come. Yeah, for sure. He's he's uh, younger than 25. Uh, you know, most that if it's just the five year deal, it's only 25 million dollars guaranteed uh, throughout that extension. So that's very affordable, even if he doesn't uh, make good on, on the potential that we're seeing. But I, I'm really excited to have him in the lineup. Definitely. Um, Chris, what is a, you know, this is pretty much a, a complete team that it, that is coming back from a world series run and returning most of their guys. What, who is a, an X factor or, or a key player to watch? Well, I, got, I actually got a couple X factors, but let's start with the big one. Boone Logan, uh, Bob, this was kind of your, uh, new year's resolution for the, for the Indians to go out and find that left-handed specialist and, and Boone Logan on, on the roster, a very capable pitcher, uh, last season struck out 57 guys in 46 innings uh, had a solid uh, 323 ERA uh, throughout his career he's generally struck out more guys than innings pitched which is a very good ratio to have uh, at least for the last six years from what I can see uh, so so certainly that will be a welcomed addition to match up Boone Logan on some of these lefties so that way you're not um, extending Andrew Miller and uh, you know gassing him as much uh, throughout the regular season. Yeah, I, I'm really excited that Boone Logan is on the team. I think uh, he'll be a great contributor. I, exactly what I wanted—a a left-hander that can um, free up Andrew Miller uh, to to pitch in any situation and not just be that lefty specialist. So I think that's that was a, a perfect move to to supplement an already good dominant bullpen. I, I really like him as an X factor. Um, you know, last season the Indians opened uh, broke camp with tons of substitutes and bench players uh, filling the roles of, of the outfield positions uh, this year they're, they're returning a, a near complete lineup the only missing piece is going to be Kipnis who who's going to miss the first couple of weeks of uh, the regular season so I'm looking at Giovanni Urshela can they get something out of him can he be the next Jose Ramirez or, or Tyler Naquin type to kind of come out of nowhere and, and cement a role in, in this lineup um, only reason I'm saying that is, you know, when Kimness comes back, where is he going to go? Well, we already alluded to Jose Ramirez's flexibility in, in moving around. I think Lonnie Chisenhall, as uh, you know, average as he's been, I think if Urshela shows some promise, he could uh, move over to third base, and then Jose Ramirez could take over Chisenhall's spot in the outfield. You know can Urshela be a, a breakout he's only 24 years old so so there is potential there um we've seen him play before uh two years ago extensively um maybe he's he's brought some things and, and we'll have a breakout season like Jose Ramirez Bob you stole my other breakout guy Giovanni Urshela came up with Francisco Lindor two years ago replaced actually Jose Ramirez and Lonnie Chisenhall I remember the uh Lonnie Chisenhall third base moving him into right field going down that was his sort of awakening moment but Yushela came up and his glove was fantastic he can play the hot corner he is an excellent defensive player problem the reason he didn't have a spot on that roster last year is because he only hit 225 now he did hit six home runs in those 81 games he played in 2015 
but last year kind of went down to Columbus, straightened some things out just a little bit. I mean, he's, his average is up to 274 last year. He had 24 doubles, eight home runs. So a, a pretty productive player down in Columbus. And with Kipnis hurt, he is certainly going to get a shot uh, to to see if he can stick in this on this team uh, with Jose Ramirez projecting as the uh, second baseman for the first couple weeks, but yeah, Yoshella was one of my favorite players two years ago, and and he's definitely has a lot of talent in the field. If he can just hit a little more consistently, uh, Bob, I think the Jose Ramirez analogy is a great one because Ramirez kind of came up a little too fast, needed some time in Columbus, and then. It set the stage for a great 2016. So hopefully the same formula will come to fruition with Giovanni Urshela because, man, if we could get that glove in the field all the time and have his bat be productive, I mean, that's just that would just be an awesome addition to an already uh, really exciting team. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to look at the absence of Jason Kipnis, who they absolutely need to have a successful season. Um, you know, can Urshela cement a, a role maybe as a utility guy or even, you know, shuffling around should uh, another infielder or outfielder struggle and give them more flexibility? Obviously, I, I think another breakout candidate is Bradley Zimmer. He's going to open camp in, in AAA, but uh, this was the number one draft pick in 2014, has had a great spring training. Uh, I, I think we will see him in an Indians uniform at some point, but um, obviously not to, to open the season. But, you know, a la Francisco Lindor, Tyler, Tyler Naquin, uh, the past two years, the Indians do have a blue chip prospect uh, budding in the wings waiting for his chance. And, and we'll possibly see Bradley Zimmer, Zimmer at some point this year. Certainly. I mean, we're going into this year outfield as a strength. Uh, you've got the Chisinau, Geyer platoon. You've got Michael Brantley probably uh, playing. You've got Naquin. Uh, you've even got Austin Jackson on the team. And then, of course, Jose Ramirez, who can uh, float anywhere. Um, but but certainly Zimmer could get a shot if, if their injuries test that depth like it did last year. Uh, Abraham Almonte, back from his suspension, fully back from his suspension, was ineligible for the playoffs because of that uh, um, suspension. He had to serve the half-year suspension for the uh, performance-enhancing drugs. So they're, they're, they're kind of too deep at every outfield position right now. The guy, other guy I'm targeting for an X-Factor, my last one, is Roberto Perez. Uh, can he capitalize off of what was a really great all-around postseason? Look, Roberto Perez has always been a good defensive catcher, but in the playoffs, he took his defense to a whole nother level, and his bat was so clutch. He was the X factor in that postseason. With Napoli struggling mightily at the plate, Perez time and time again came up, especially in the ALDS against uh, Boston, with some big moments, some big hits, and some big defensive plays that didn't get enough credit. Um, really had a huge postseason uh, with Jan Gomes hurt. Um, so if Jan Gomes is still hurt or can't stay healthy like he hasn't been able to do the last couple of years, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Roberto Perez can take another step forward because I, I think the Indians have a bright young catcher behind Jan Gomes should his injury problems persist. Yeah, I think catcher is, is an X factor. Um, obviously, they want to improve it by, by getting Jonathan McCoy at the trade deadline. I don't think that they 
will tolerate another repeat of last season's offensive production from Perez and Gomes and whoever is behind the plate. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Perez was clutch uh, catching the ball uh, on the defensive side and came up with some really big hits. Um, you know, he had eight hits in that World Series run. Three of those were home runs. One was a double. Uh, but he did finish the postseason with a 186 batting average. So um, there, obviously that's not w- what you want uh, from any position. Uh, offensively so there's certainly room for improvement can either of those guys uh, have a a solid productive season at the plate Um, I'm not sure if if either of them are capable of that at this point you know Jan Gomes we we thought that he certainly was trending that way a couple years ago but as you said the injuries have kind of derailed that so uh, I think I I agree that uh, Roberto Perez can he put it all together and be productive at the plate that is certainly an x-factor if that's a yes and that's just another win and, and truly makes the Indians deadly one through nine. And, and Bob, and, and anyone who watches baseball knows that the catcher's batting average isn't going to be – you got to judge it on a bit of a curve. You know, if your catcher's hitting 250, that's actually pretty solid, you know, because the wear and tear on the body and whatnot. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, last year was just abysmal. I think they were struggling to hit 150. And as you said, even though he had a lot of big moments in the playoffs, he still ultimately couldn't uh, crack 200 for the entire postseason run. So certainly uh, we have two excellent defensive catchers. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not they can – not be a liability in the lineup and, and not be sort of an automatic out, um, you know, every ninth uh, time through. Uh, but so certainly, certainly, and, and Bob, I mean, I talked about it earlier. I mean, there are a lot of exciting prospects down in Columbus and even in Akron that are, are just kind of bubbling over. And, and it's it's good to have this kind of depth because, about, I'm telling you right now, they are certainly going to have to rely on some of these guys. It's just not possible to go through 162 games uh, fully healthy. It's just a, a sort of cross your fingers that they don't get completely snake bit by injuries and, and it becomes a sort of a disaster season. Uh, but but it's, it's refreshing to know that they do have some guys, some depth uh, on the 40-man roster that they can rely on. Yeah, for sure. I obviously we throw down a lot of names. I think the last possibility would be Yandy Diaz. I, I've heard a lot about him uh, making headways in, in the outfield and even possibly at third base. So that could be another name to remember. I, I think Bradley Zimmer is more likely, but but Yandy Diaz as well. Uh, I, I've heard. So Chris, Cleveland Indians. We we've talked uh, th- about this team. You know, various strengths and weaknesses. Talked about all facets of their game. What are your expectations for this season? I think it would be a disappointment if the Indians do not win the Central Division. Um, I know Detroit is still tough, and I think Kansas City is going to be better than they were last year. They got really snake bit by injuries, but they, they lost some guys in free agency too. But I think the Indians are, with all that they're returning, with all that they've added, both headline moves and uh, you know secondary moves, I think they've gotten better. I think this team is locked up for the foreseeable future. I think expectations can and should be very high for this team because I, I think that 2016 was was the springboard to another window of opportunity for this team. You know, I think Detroit is getting old. They're kind of ending their run. They will still be a factor. I don't expect the Indians to dominate them 15 wins like they did last year. That's unrealistic. But I do expect the Indians to play better against the Twins, who were the worst team in the division and dominated the Indians. So I think that'll even out. 
But ultimately, I think the Indians should flirt with 90-plus wins and win the Central Division. I think that that is a realistic expectation. The only thing that really can go wrong for them is if these two shoulder injuries and the injuries to um, Salazar and Carrasco flare up and then they lose four of their six or seven absolutely can't-miss core guys. Um, I think that would be the absolute worst-case scenario. But as long as the health is decent, just average, normal kind of injury luck, they should win the Central Division. Yeah, I I think certainly they they, uh, should win the Central Division. I think it would be a a great disappointment if they don't win the Central Division. Obviously, you can't account for injuries, so I I would understand if uh, they get derailed by that. But if all things go to plan, if they're healthy for the majority of the season, they they should win this division. They won it last year by eight games. Um, looking at the other four teams, uh, none of them improved, and, and the Indians improved, and they have room for internal improvement as well. I don't think the Twins are going to be as bad as they were last year. I think they're a young team that can get better, but the White Sox certainly got worse, and then the Royals and Tigers pretty much stood pat. Uh, and, and the Tigers are only getting older. This is the Indians' division to lose, and it probably will be for the next couple years. Uh, I, I would be supremely disappointed if they don't win this division. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the White Sox traded Chris Sale. Uh, the the Royals, I think, will still be a pest, but they lost. You know, they lost their closer, Wade Davis. You know, they they lost. They're losing guys every year, so I think their window is kind of closed. And Detroit is still going to be a threat. There is a bit of a rivalry there. They still have a lot of talent, but it's getting older. They're long in the tooth. Uh, the one, the X factor in the division is Minnesota because two years ago the Twins had kind of a breakout year. Then they showed their youth. They have the unknown factor because they have a lot of potential guys who have flashed some potential. So maybe the Twins can be a bit of an X factor, but but that's not enough for me to pick anyone over the Indians. I think the Indians are the safest bet, and I think that the Indians should win this division. Yeah, for sure. Well, we will um, do a little bit of previews for, for how successful the Indians are uh, in the postseason in a minute, but let's quickly zoom out and, and look at the other divisions in, in the MLB and make some playoff quick picks uh, real quick and, and predict our postseason uh, at the end of the 2017 MLB season. So Chris, uh, let's keep it in the American League. Uh, what what are, what? Who do you predict winning the AL East and the AL West? I think Boston should win the AL East, and, and that pains me to say that because I don't particularly like the Red Sox. But when I look at the AL East, you know, the Red Sox adding Chris Sale to go with David Price. And even though I didn't think Rick Porcello should have won the Cy Young, you can't deny that he had a breakout season. Uh, I don't know if he's as good as he pitched last year, but he's still a very good pitcher. And the other two guys with him are elite pitchers. Though David Price struggled last year, I would expect them to be good enough to win that division between their pitching and their young lineup, even though they don't have David Ortiz. You know, Toronto lost Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, Baltimore just always seems to have something missing. I don't know. I mean, they're always kind of one player away. Uh, I I think Baltimore's probably their biggest threat, but I do think Boston will take the East. Yeah, I think so too. I I think they are uh, pretty much a sure thing to win that division uh, with the addition of Sale uh, that rotation finally has a true number one. I know they had David Price and uh, Porcello, as you said, who who were former Cy Young winger winners. But um, 
Chris Sale is the real deal and in the prime of his career, I think he's going to have a fantastic season this year, uh, pitching behind a a lineup that is stacked even without David Ortiz. So uh, certainly the division is theirs to win. Uh, You know, the Yankees are somewhat improving and could be better this year. AL East is always an interesting division. There are lots of players at, uh, at stake, but I, I think the Red Sox are, are clearly the favorite to win that one. Um, all right, move into the West. Who who do you got out there? I think the West could get pretty wild. Not to use an old uh, pun there, but you got the Rangers, you got the Astros, and, and don't sleep on the Mariners. I, I think this is a tough division to predict because I think all three of those teams are going to be fighting it out. Wouldn't surprise me if this division produces two teams. The, the Rangers have a really strong rotation with Cole Hamels and Hugh Darvish. The Astros are a young organization that keeps getting better and better and better, but it always seems like their good young rotation is battling injuries. And then the Mariners have spent a lot of money. They have a lot of big names, um, but but they always seem to get off to a slow start. So if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to pick the team that I kind of would like to see in the postseason. That's Houston, but I do think both Houston and Texas will uh, clinch playoff spots out of this division. Yeah, there are a lot of intriguing, sexy picks in, in the AL West and the Mariners, the Astros, the Angels with Mike Trout. Uh, but it's been the Rangers of the past two years that have clearly won that division um, and, and have surprisingly taken a hold of it. So I, I, I think that they are primed to do so again and repeat. Uh, like you said, backed by that strong 1-2 rotation of you Darvish and Cole Hamels. And a lineup that just produces one through nine, I think they they are pretty impressive. I, I again, I, I guess this is not the most exciting uh, prediction, but the um, but I, I also agree. I think the Houston Astros are poised to to make a wild card spot and even push for that AL West division. I, I think they both of those teams are certainly going to be in the playoffs, but the Rangers seem to be the favorite for that one. The second wild card spot is tough for me though because I think there's a lot more uncertainty. You know, I could see Seattle, Detroit, Toronto and Baltimore all flirting with that spot. Um, It's hard to just completely write off Toronto. They were so good last year just because they lose Edwin Encarnacion, but that's a lot of home runs to leave a deadly lineup. They still have Donaldson and Batista, though. Um, I I think they're the safest bet, but you know what? I'm actually going to pull a curveball. I, I think the Detroit Tigers are going to get it together for one more playoff run. I think they will make a wild card spot. So I'm going to take Texas, Houston, Cleveland, Detroit, and Boston. Hmm, that's intriguing. I think the Detroit Tigers certainly can have one last gasp and, and make a push for, for the playoffs. Um, but I'm, I, I do think the Blue Jays will, will make the playoffs and win a wild card spot, uh, minus those home runs in production by Encarnacion. But I do think Marco Stroman is poised for a breakout season as a pitcher and, and can uh, maybe the, the Blue Jays won't have to crush the ball every time they win uh, and they'll actually be able to rely on some starting pitching. So I think they are, are poised to win another wild card spot. Look, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Bob, I think the fifth wild card is going to be a very intriguing race in both leagues. I think that fifth wild card has really injected a lot of life to the end of the regular season. It, it has certainly uh, made things very exciting the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, moving to the National League, well, if our American League picks weren't that dissimilar, it's going to be pretty boring over here in the National League because I see three teams that are poised for uh, dominant seasons again. Chris, who who are your picks in, in the NL East? I, I think we should just right to the point. I, I think the divisions 
I think it's going to be Washington. I think it's going to be Chicago Cubs. Yeah. And then I've got the Giants in the West. I think those three teams are better than their corresponding uh, division mates. Um, are those the same three teams you were thinking of? Uh, I guess not. Uh, I, I definitely agree with the Nationals and, and the Cubs, uh, but I, I still think it's the Dodgers division to lose in, in the NL West. But make your case for the Giants for sure. Well, well, they have a deeper they have a deep rotation. I think the Giants last year, I'm not the Giants, the the Dodgers last year. I mean, they've got Clayton Kershaw, they've got an ace. Somehow they kind of cobbled together a really good season despite not having a ton behind Clayton Kershaw. Again, I do think the Dodgers will also make the playoffs. I think the Giants and the Dodgers will both come out of the West. But I I just think that the Giants have a little bit more depth to the the Dodgers. I, I think this will be the closest of the three divisions, though. Yeah, I think the Giants are certainly in play for the postseason. I think both of them are going to make it. I have them as a wild card team. Uh, it's just hard to look past Clayton Kershaw, Corey Seager, and an endless payroll in the Dodgers and, and think that the Giants are going to uh, supplant them until I, I see it with my own eyes. So I'm, I'm going with the Dodgers, but I, I do like the gains that the Giants made. They're going to be a wild card team for me. And the other wild card, I think, is going to be close between the Cardinals and the Mets. Uh, I, look, none of these picks are particularly exciting for me, but Bob, I do think in the National League there is a clear drop off between all these second place teams and everyone else. The the one X factor to me, though, the team I'm most intrigued about are the Miami Marlins. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can get that young talent uh, to take the next step. But when in doubt, just pick the Cardinals. I mean, Bob, the team is just. I know they kind of had a down year last year, but this this team this is the gold standard in baseball. They have been for so long. I'm going to pick them to get that second wild card. Yeah, I mean, a, a down year for the Cardinals is winning 86 games and missing out on a wild card berth by just one game. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I think the Cardinals are just a model of consistency, even though they missed the playoffs last year. Uh, they still had a winning record. I, I, I think they'll be back. I, I think they have... Uh, the pipeline to just continue to replace and, and, and keep uh, playing quality baseball. I think they're going to be that fifth wild card spot for sure. Well, uh, I guess uh, before we make our World Series pick, let's pause for postseason awards. Who are your picks for uh, MVP? These are so tough. These are always tough to do. I, I hate picking baseball awards because. I don't know. It, it, it's really it, to me these are these are some of the tougher awards. I mean, in the American League, I would like to go Mike Trout, but I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to say that Francisco Lindor ascends even more and has a eye-popping offensive season. I mean, he's not he's never going to hit like 40 home runs, but if I think if he can hit 30 home runs, that combined with his defense may get him the MVP. And if the Indians do what they're supposed to do, I think he'll be in the thick of things. And I would love to see someone from Cleveland win the MVP. So I'm going to go Francisco Lindor. I I would love that. I think uh, Francisco Lindor, his talents are are deserving of MVP discussion every year. I I just wonder about the offensive power production, if that's going to be enough to turn heads and and get noticed. Uh, 30 home runs uh, would, would be quite the jump for Francisco Lindor. Um, but I, I would definitely take it. Um, how, you know, I, I'm looking at all the favorites here and it's just nobody jumps out. And, and if there is no eye popping guy, 
then you have to default to Mike Trout. As boring as it is, this guy is just fantastic. I know that he's going to be a near triple crown threat with some with over 20 stolen bases and, and high defensive performance. Can Mookie Betts uh, copy him and, and do similar production with a, on a better team? He certainly can. But before I see him repeat his really successful season from last year, I, I got to go to Mike Trout. Yeah, and Jose Altuve was in the MVP race last year. So, I mean, you know, little guys can do it too. I understand, but I like how I just threw out 30 home runs for Lindor like it was nothing for him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. When in doubt, pick Mike Trout. And, and look, certainly deserving if he keeps on this Hall of Fame pace that he's on. He's ridiculous. He has out-of-this-world numbers. He does everything. So, I mean, it's not like if Mike Trout has another season like he did in the last couple of years, I mean, who's going to argue with that? Um also, a guy, Edwin Encarnacion, new team. If he keeps up that 40 home run pace he's on, he could get a lot of credit for maybe taking the Indians to a higher win total. That's another. That, that's always a bonus if you can come into a team and, and improve it. Uh, you get a lot of credit for that. So, a couple. Of, I think there are a couple guys on the Indians who will flirt with it. But Bob, you're right. I mean, Mike Trout is uh, just kind of an overwhelming cloud over baseball right now. A good cloud, but but. He's, yeah. he's just off the chains. We're starting to take it for granted like we take for granted uh, LeBron's greatness every season. It's just uh, he's a machine, uh, and it's it, it's incredible what he's able to do. And if he can continue that, I mean, he will be sky is the limit for sure. And sooner or later, wrongly, it'll start working against him in MVP voting. I, I think it's ridiculous that yeah. LeBron has no chance at winning the MVP simply because he's LeBron. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move uh, to the Cy Young in, in the American League. Who who do you got there? I'm going to stick with the homer pick and pick Kluber because, I mean, here's another machine. Uh, he's got an offense behind him now, Bob. I mean, we, we were talking years past the run support. He's got an offense behind him, and if this offense does what it did last year plus Edwin Encarnacion, uh, Kluber could flirt with uh, maybe even – I mean, could he flirt with 25 wins? I, I mean that that's a high expectation, but but Bob, I mean, all you got to do is change a little run support the last couple of years, and he's right there. I mean, he he could be a twenty game winner. I, I certainly can be a twenty game winner. I mean, uh, over the past three years, two seasons, he's finished with eighteen wins. Uh, I, no doubt he can he can do that. Uh, he's an innings workhorse and has a very low ERA and a high strikeout ratio. Yeah, he's certainly going to be in the conversation for Cy Young. Um, you know, just remember how down we were on him on his first half. And then he was just fantastic in, in the run to the postseason. And almost, I think if he had one more start at the end of the year, he would have won the Cy Young and, and uh, would have taken it away from Rick Porcello, but he just ran out of time. I think that's a really, I mean, that's a really safe pick, but we're, we talked about uh, Encarnacion changing teams and, and having success. I, I think Chris Sale is poised for uh, a monster year going to a playoff contending team behind a high octane offense. Uh, Chris Sales probably uh, one, one, if not the best pitcher not to win a Cy Young so far uh, in his prime. Uh, I think it's his to lose. No, that's certainly good. The only thing that could work against him, though, is Fenway is not a great park for lefties. But I think Chris Sale, as you said, is good enough to overcome those uh, those obstacles. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving to the NL, uh, who do you got for MVP there? This is another tough one. I mean, I'm going to go Cubs, Chris Bryant, just because if the Cubs have another magical season, I think everyone's kind of just 
waiting to award them a lot because they've been down for so long. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm looking at another third baseman for the Rockies, Nolan Arenado, who Ooh. has had two, two monster seasons uh, of 42 home runs and 130 RBIs and 41 home runs and 133 RBIs. And I don't think even fans of baseball really know who this guy is. I mean, how do you have, how do you fly on their radar putting up power numbers like that? You uh, play in Colorado. He, yeah, <laughs> be, be on such a poor team in Colorado. Colorado, I think, will, will improve this year. I think that they uh, can win more games than 75 from, from last year. And I, I think Arenado is poised for, for uh more fame and more recognition and could turn into an MVP season. I would love it if that happened because I don't want the Cubs to win another MVP. I just think that if the Cubs flirt with a hundred wins again, they will probably give the award to someone on the Cubs. Yeah. That's just, that's unfortunate. I mean, this guy's a three-time gold glove winner. Uh, I I just, I I think he's just as good as Chris Bryant and and just isn't on as talented a team. But we will see. Uh, obviously, we, we've put it. We've talked about a lot of these big names. Um, all right, who do you got for NL Cy Young? Oh man, when in doubt, play Clayton Kershaw. He's arguably the best pitcher in the league. Um, if the Dodgers make the playoffs, he is going to be the reason why. So, if they win that division, I think he'll win the Cy Young. Yeah, I can't can't argue with that. But I I don't want to be the guy that picks Mike Trout for MVP and Clayton Kershaw for NL Cy Young. So. Uh, I'm going to go with Noah Syndergaard. I, I think he uh, can have a breakout year. He certainly has the talent to do so. Uh, injuries have been a little bit of a concern, and he plays uh, for uh, really not the most exciting lineup uh, behind him with the Mets, but I, I think he's poised for a breakout year at age 24. Oh, no, that's a good pick, too. And Look, man, I, I like seeing new blood, but, uh, hey, man, you're asking me to make picks, not 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 go off the wall. No, this coming from the guy who always kind of makes off the wall picks. I think that's funny that the, <laughs> well, your picks aren't really off the wall, but I do think it's funny that the rules are a little reversed this time around. Yeah, well, no, I I, I wasn't trying to call you out. I just didn't want to be the guy that picked both Trout and Kershaw on the same predictions podcast. No, nah, but hey, man, you pick the winner. If they win, it, it, then you can back it up, but. I like the Ornato pick, true. though. I, li- I like that pick. I think that's going to be – I, I, I kind of hope he wins because he, he is, like as you said, he doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, it's time to make a World Series pick. Who do you got? I'm just going to continue the lame train and say the rematch everyone wants is going to materialize. Indians v. Cubs, and this time the Indians take it. It's going to be just like 2016, getting revenge on the Warriors, revenge on the Cubs. Boom. Indians over Cubs. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is Cleveland's year, and I will I will eat it up for sure. I think the Indians are going to win the World Series, but I don't think they're going to get vengeance on the Cubs. I, I think the Dodgers will finally make it to a World Series, kind of the year where people are jumping off that train. They'll finally break some of those postseason habits. Uh, Indians over the Dodgers. I'd, I'd get behind that as long as the Indians win. I don't care, but I, I do. <laughs> I, I I have sky high expectations for the Tribe. Um, and I certainly hope it materializes in a championship. Yeah, me too. Well, really excited for opening day. Uh, less than a week away, we will certainly keep you updated as the Indians start their young season and check in on them periodically and give you all the updates. Um, but to talk about some high-stakes, high-leverage baseball before the season began, Team USA finally brings home the World Baseball Classic 
uh, beat Japan in the semifinal and then beat Puerto Rico eight to nothing in the final. Uh, Chris, did you have a chance to watch either of those games? And what does this win mean for the World Baseball Classic? Unfortunately, no. But fortunately, I mean, Team USA finally got one. I mean, when we when when this tournament was created, the expectations were just overwhelming for Team USA, and they disappointed. But they lost to, I mean, Japan won it twice and the Dominicans won it again. I mean, you act like um, these programs are really, really strong countries that produce strong baseball. Uh, but I think it was vindicating that the Team USA not only won, but they beat the Dominican Republic and it was essentially an elimination game. They beat Japan in the semifinals. And then they beat Puerto Rico, who was arguably the most talented team in this uh, World Baseball Classic in the final. So I think that there is some vindication there for Team USA to finally win this thing. Uh, there's a chance that this World Baseball Classic got some momentum. It had some excitement to it. Uh, this may be what, if we look back at the WCBC in 2021, this this moment, this run could be what saved it. Yeah, I think so. And, and particularly not the semifinal or the final game, but that Dominican Republic game seemed to be the most highlighting moment or the most exciting moment for, for the American squad and from an American perspective. So uh, Adam Jones catch could be the catch that saved the World Baseball Classic. Uh, maybe, we'll, like you said, we'll look back upon that and, and call it that uh, in a few years. But it turned out to be a fun tournament. I did watch a little bit of the Japan game and the Puerto Rico game. It was fun. I mean, it's high stakes baseball. I, I love that stuff. And it's kind of ironic that Andrew Miller made it all the way to the final playing against Francisco Lindor, uh, the two teams that we didn't want to succeed just to keep our favorite players healthy. But uh, that's the way it goes. And by all accounts, everyone left unscathed. So that's that's the best news, I'd say. All right. Uh, checking in on college basketball, Cleveland State hiring Dennis Felton, a former head coach of Georgia and was a current assistant at Tulsa. Chris, how do you like that move? I mean, it's solid for Cleveland State. Anytime Cleveland State can get a former um, sort of Power 5 coach to come there, uh, that's great. I mean, Dennis Felton, he's not going to move the needle, but, I mean, he is essentially what Gary Waters was when they got him. I mean, Gary Waters had mixed, did not have a lot as much success at Rutgers as Felton did in Georgia. So certainly uh, a, a solid hire for Cleveland State. I think anytime you can get a coach – uh, who has that kind of experience to come there, uh, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, kind of speaking in the opposite, Dayton's Archie Miller is going to Indiana to replace Tom Crean. How do you feel about that move? Well, first off, I don't think Indiana should have fired Tom Crean. I, I think he's only had a couple bad years. I, I think it's a little bit quick for the trigger figure, but it was, this was only a matter of time. Archie Miller was the most sought-after coach in college basketball. What he's done with Dayton is fantastic. Dayton had always been an underrated program before Archie Miller got him there, but he took him to the Elite Eight a few years back, and it's just been riding cloud nine ever since. Uh, I don't like it when these kind of coaches leave. I like coaches like Mark Few, who stay in Gonzaga and kind of build it up, like uh, Greg Marshall, who have built up Wichita State. I was disappointed to see guys like Brad Stevens jump to the NBA and Shaka Smart go to Texas because I feel like, you know, having a building Butler VCU and those kind of programs into blue chip programs uh, is a little, is a little special. And I think uh, Archie Miller certainly could have had the chance to do that. And uh, Dayton. Yeah. And then checking it on the NCAA tournament from an Ohio perspective, Xavier, uh, their 
run deep into the tournament ended in the Elite Eight, losing to Gonzaga, but not before knocking off uh, the two seed in Arizona, 73 to 71 in the Sweet 16. Uh, that has to be a, a fantastic, very satisfying run for Xavier, an 11 seed. Um, Chris, did I have a chance to catch either of those games uh, over the weekend? No, I did not see either of those games. I did see the Kentucky-Carolina game, and that was a crazy game. Easily, I, I think, the game of the tournament. Um one an eclectic Final Four, not to shift it from Xavier. Always good to see an Ohio team go deep, especially a team that Xavier shouldn't have been an 11 seed. I mean, every, they, they, it yeah. feels like they're in the Sweet 16 every other year. They're a perennial power now. I don't understand why so many of these mid-majors like Dayton, Wichita State, Xavier, they all got disrespected by the committee. They were seated way too low. Um, but kudos to them for you know showing people that, hey, you know, Xavier means business. Um, unfortunately, they played Gonzaga, who's the who was Xavier maybe six, seven, eight years ago, not getting enough respect. Um, I, I, I'm very glad that Mark Few and Gonzaga went to their first Final Four, and they're the team I'm pulling for. I picked them to win it all, and I'm not bailing on them now. I, I hope they, they close the deal. Yeah, I, I would be happy for either of the winner of that matchup. I mean, a seven seed, South Carolina, that uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, it's not like a that eight seed Kentucky from a couple of years ago. This is truly a team nobody really expected to be in the final four. I'm kind of pulling for them to, to pull it out, but if they do seed uh, victory to Gonzaga, I would be happy with that as well. Uh, I agree with you. Quite an eclectic final four. Oregon also with uh, kind of the injuries they brought in to, to the tournament. I didn't expect them to make it all the way here, but uh, this is the bracket we have. Uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. Um, all right. Well, the Cavs are, about to embark on a really tough schedule, uh, nine games in 14 days, three back-to-backs, uh, marquee matchups against the Spurs and the Bulls, uh, three sets of three games in four nights. I mean, this is a grueling grind to the finish uh, for the postseason, Chris. Uh, what are your expectations out of this uh, stretch of games? Yeah, and the bad part is Boston has kind of tied them for the number one seed. Uh, they're, they're, the Cavs are one game behind in the wins column, but one game ahead in the loss column. So uh, they're, they're virtually tied, and Boston's schedule is not nearly as tough. So, so it looks like the reality is get used to seeing Boston with a little number one next to it. But I've been saying all along it doesn't matter, and I, I'm actually a little more scared of the Wizards and the Raptors. I, I, I kind of... You know, having to face them twice is, is not ideal. Um, but at the at the same time, uh, I don't think the Cavs need to worry about seeding as much as health. You know, quietly, the Raptors in fourth are only three and a half game out of first, Bob. I mean, it, it's conceivable the Cavs could drop all the way to three. But I, I don't think seeding matters as much as health. I think the Cavs should just make sure they have everyone doing well going into the postseason. Yeah, if they enter healthy, uh, enter the postseason healthy, I'm I'm not too worried about any of those three teams. I agree with you. I think the Wizards are the strongest challenge just because of the way they've played so well in, in the second half. Um, but I, I, you know, not to sound too overconfident, but I, I, uh, seeding doesn't really matter. And if they have to go through all three of those teams, so be it. I, I think they could handle them pretty easily. Uh, maybe the Wizards uh, at its most difficult, but uh, I, I, I'm not too worried about it. I just hope that they come out of the stretch healthy and, and good to go for uh, the playoff run. Um, checking in with the Browns, Josh Gordon officially set to apply for reinstatement this week. Uh, that's coupled with news that if he is reinstated, the Browns are either going to trade him or release him. Chris, is that a good move? 
I mean, I guess. Uh, look, the Browns know the Gordon situation better than we do. Uh, the guy hasn't had a good season in now four years. He hasn't played a game since 2014. So the, the fact of the matter is the Browns know this situation better than we do. If they can get something solid for him in return, by all means. Uh, that's not to say he won't maybe find uh, his way elsewhere. But uh, whatever's happening, uh, I- ideally they could mend it up and keep him in the organization because the guy's got a ton of talent and he's not that old. Um, but but I just I don't know. I, I if the situation is has reached a point where it's best that both sides move on, then you know maybe that's what needs to happen. Yeah, either any way they play it, I, I'm fine with as long as they don't expect anything from Gordon. Uh, in terms of production or reliability uh, if they want to keep him around and, and you know strike lightning in a bottle and, and get a pr- productive player that was a pro bowl player just a few years ago uh, i think that's a, a good smart move if they want to just cut him and, and let him go i think that's a another smart move and you can't blame the browns for letting him go and if gordon finds success somewhere else uh you know, you can't blame him at this point because they have stuck with him for five years now uh, and have not seen him on the field a whole lot. So it is certainly time to move on if they uh, are willing to do so. Um, but if they want to keep him around and see if he has anything, if he has, is truly a changed man, I, I'd be up for that as well. Um, keeping it in the NFL, uh, but not Cleveland related, though we can certainly empathize with the Oakland Raiders. 31 to 1 vote today uh, at an owners meeting. Uh, looks like the Las Vegas Raiders are the name we're going to have to get used to soon. Uh, approving that vote, uh, the Oakland Raiders are, are headed to Las Vegas. Uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts on that move? It's a shame. Honestly, it's a shame. Um, it, I don't understand why San Diego, St. Louis, and Oakland all had to move two of them into the same city. Uh, I well, I get you know I get it politics, arena, money, all that fun stuff, but the, the fact of the matter is it, it's a shame that, that San Diego has to lose a team, that Oakland has to lose a team um, just because of, uh, you know, money and finances and all that stuff. And, and I, as a Browns fan, I don't like seeing teams completely just getting uprooted because taxpayers don't want to pay for their stadiums. You know, that, that, that just irks right. me to no end is that the fans are like, no, we don't want our tax dollars to go to this. Okay, fine. Well, you don't have a team. It's like, come on, man. That, that's what irks me the most. And it, it's a shame that the NFL is keeps playing these uh, musical chairs of rotating franchises. Yeah, definitely a shame. Uh, yeah, I, I can certainly empathize with the Raiders and, or for the Oakland and, and the city. Um, glad that they stuck to their guns and didn't give in a whole lot, but um sad that they're moving to Las Vegas. Um, one last piece of news, kind of something that I uh, am really into the U S men's national team, uh, participating in world cup qualifying matches this week, uh, went into a matchup against Honduras on Friday, um, needing some points, uh, in, in the CONCACAF qualifying stage, uh, having previously lost their two matches and, Boy, did they blow them out six to nothing. Uh, Clint Dempsey in his return from a heart condition, hasn't played in about seven months, had a hat trick. And 18-year-old Christian Pulisic, uh, born in Pennsylvania, had assisted on three goals, scored another, and drew the foul that uh, was ultimately Clint Dempsey's third uh, goal on on a free kick. Uh, Chris, 
uh, Christian Pulisic is a name to remember. This guy is playing for the Bundesliga uh, Dortmund team. Uh, he's worked his way into the starting lineup there. Uh, it's amazing to think that the United States national team has one of the best under-21s in the entire world on their team, and it certainly looks like the Pulisic era has begun on the national team with that kind of performance uh, on Friday, and uh, look for another one uh, as they play Panama later in the week. I will not forget that name, but you might have to remind me every now and then. I I think it'll be pretty easy if you just watch any highlights because he is uh, a a passing wizard. Uh, All three of the assists that he had were pretty fantastic, and, and even the strike that he had was really good too. Before we get to our headlines, Bob, just one more quick thing. Have you seen the new kickoff rule that's being floated out there? Yeah, the field goal kickoff. I think it's kind of cool. For those of you out there who might not have seen it, right now, as you know, the touchback's the 25-yard line. If the kicker kicks it through the uprights, it goes back to the 20. I I think it's kind of cool, actually, as a little incentive to, to put some leg under that and give it a cannon. Yeah, I like it. I mean, why not make it uh, interesting in a new way? Um, you're essentially taking away the the kickoff return, which is an exciting play. You know, kickoff return for a touchdown is is incredibly exciting. Uh, the NFL is moving to take away that play for for injury concerns. Got to replace it with something, and this will certainly be of some interest, at least more so than what it is currently. We can call this the Bill Belichick rule because with a 25-yard touchback, he has been instructing his kicker to kick it to the two-yard line, one-yard line, to force them to return it for field position. So uh, now you're incentivizing a longer kick. Yeah, he, uh, well, make it, yeah. (laughs) He knows how to play those rules for sure. He knows Um, how to do it, Yeah. I, not, not, I'm not, not, I'm not, didn't mean to say that, make that sound negative. He, he certainly knows how to do it. Um, let's go to uh, our headline. What do you want to see this week? Okay. So, so Elon Musk of SpaceX was looking for some volunteers to go to Mars. I want to see LeVar Ball volunteering on the first <laughs> shuttle to Mars. <laughs> that way I never have to hear him talk again. Cause my goodness, this guy's crazy. Yeah. He's pretty crazy. Um, you know, we, we had a rule where we wouldn't talk about J.R. Smith on this podcast. I'm proposing that we never talk about LeVar Ball on this podcast. <laughs> That's the first time we've mentioned him, and it's already a rule. <laughs> well, it's, the, you know, he is a troll, and he wants the attention. He will say ridiculous things. Look at what it's done. I mean, he's gotten on ESPN for interviews multiple times. Uh, his sons are now entering household names, and, and none of them are, have entered the NBA yet. So it's exactly what he wants. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to acknowledge him uh, on this podcast uh, ever again. It's all about branding, man. And, and there was one guy who said that the next thing he has to do is put his name and Trump's name in the same sentence so that way he can get the Google clicks out of that. But, hey, yeah. he's, he's a master brander and uh, he's doing a good job in that respect. I just don't want to hear anything from him ever again it's did you I, I tried to watch the clip of him on first take with Stephen a i got about five seconds in i'm like i can't do this i just can't do it yeah i i didn't watch it i i don't really have interest in seeing that shouting match <laughs> um but i read one description of it was uh basically the the uncle's table at thanksgiving uh just two guys just screaming at each other <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I I had no interest in watching that. My headline is a little bit more down to earth this week. Kind of 
you know, I, I'm feeling really good from that 6-0 match from the USMNT. Um, so I'm going with a, a Christian Pulisic hat trick against Panama this week. I, I just think that he uh, there's some serious momentum with him in the lineup, and, and I'm feeling really good about it right now. Man, Christian Pulisic. I'm going to have to keep that name in mind. The first name will be easy because it's pretty similar to, to my name. So yeah. can I just call him Chris? That way I won't ever forget it. Uh, Do you think it'd be yeah, cool I with guess that? So. I mean, you can ask him that. Right. Maybe send him a letter or something. Maybe we can get him on our podcast and, and we'll ask him in person. That would be something, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, until then, you guys will just have to listen to some of our old episodes and see maybe one day we will get Christian Polistic to come on the Clay Talk. But until that day, thank you for listening to us. We, we jam-packed a lot into this uh, sort of supersized podcast, but that's what happens when we talk about our tribe previewing the MLB season. Super excited for the Cleveland Indians to get their season started uh, the next week in the home opener the following week. But until then, you can catch up on all of our episodes of Cleat Talk at FenleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe via iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports. Hit Cleat Talk, and it's just that simple. Or you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com and click the little iTunes icon in the upper right-hand corner. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching FenleyRoadSports.com. Come back next week and every week for another episode of Cleat Talk where we break down the world of Cleveland sports. But until then... Go Cavs, beat the Spurs, survive this brutal schedule stretch, and then turn it on in the postseason because we want some real basketball. <laughs> yeah, go go Cavs and go Tribe. I, I'll, I'll see you, Chris. Yeah, go Tribe. I'll take yeah, take it easy, Bob.